Hey, welcome in. Welcome in. It's the Arrowhead Attic Podcast Thursday edition. Regrettably, the first Thursday edition without my former co-host, Matt Verderam. Had a great episode last week. I wanted to thank all the listeners, by the way. Uh, And if you don't know who I am, I'm Patrick Allen. That's the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Thanking all the listeners from last week who gave uh, Verderam a really great send-off. He and I have been doing this podcast since... uh, September 2020, right in the thick of COVID. It's been a lot of fun. It's been an honor co-hosting this show with him from, you know, uh, pretty much every Thursday to when we launched the YouTube channel Sundays. He's over at Sports Illustrated now. If you guys haven't been checking out his work, I'm sure you have uh, following his Twitter account. He's just right. He's on fire over there. He's writing great stuff. He's got a, a fantastic platform to do one of the things that he does best, which is write and talk about football. So we're super happy for him. But listen, that's the bad news. The good news is he's going to be back. He's going to be back here hanging out with us on the Aerodatic po- Podcast. I promise you a lot more than you might think. Uh, I told you we, we were going to try to keep him involved in the show. It sounds like we're going to be able to do that. So while Verderam is not with me here today, and he won't be here with me as much on a regular basis as he was in the past, uh, he's going to be back, and that's good news for everybody. I just saw on Twitter too, by the way, that the man has gotten his his voice back after uh, after his his escapades in Indianapolis at the combine. Um, so that's that's he's he's he put it. Uh, good news for him, bad news for everybody else. So we'll miss him uh, being here on the regular. But like I said, he's going to be back. Shout out to all of our members out there in the chat. I see you guys starting to trickle in. Thank you for hanging with us here at the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. We got a really good show for you today. Um, a lot of it's uh, pre-recorded. I got this morning the chance to talk to our old pal, Jason Reed from ESPN and Anscape. He's an NFL senior writer over there. Absolutely fantastic football guy. Uh, not unlike Verderam, really knows his stuff. Uh, I brought him on the show and we talked about a lot of different things. Patrick Mahomes' legacy. We talked about the Super Bowl, the James Bradbury holding penalty, uh, the significance of the uh, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes matchup, which if you don't remember Jason's first appearance on the show, he came on to talk about his book, Rise of the Black Quarterback, uh, where he kind of chronicled the journey of black quarterbacks throughout the course of the NFL, the struggle that they had to get starting positions and get, you know, have people believe in them and believe that they could play the position. And now as we've sort of entered this golden age of chiefs football and really a golden age for, for black quarterbacks, there's just a, a, a lot of really incredibly talented black quarterbacks in the NFL. So it was cool to talk to Jason as a follow-up about that. Um, uh, Jesus Perez in the chat says, can we get a blue chip pick this year? Do you consider running back a blue chip pick? Thank you for the comment. Jesus. Uh, you know what? I do not. Um, well, number one, I think that the Chiefs have a a really great running back in Isaiah Pacheco. I think he's the future at that position for them, and they got him in the seventh round. So if you can get a starting running back in the seventh round, is that a blue chip position? I don't, I don't think it is. Um, you know, as far as the Chiefs being able to get a blue chip pick this year, they're picking last, uh, which is what we all want, right? Because that means they won the Super Bowl. The good news is, is because the Dolphins uh, were were hit with like a tampering charge from the NFL. The Dolphins do not have a pick this year, uh, and because of that, the Chiefs pick thirty first, which is actually kind of cool. Um, you know, it's still way back at the end of the first round, but it's one pick 
higher than they would have had if the Dolphins didn't get the book thrown at them. So um, good year to win the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. Uh, Maddie B30 says, do you think we'll trade up in the draft for a left tackle? So I'm just starting my draft prep now. So I haven't really gone over all the left tab- tackle options in the way that I want to before I can really speak intelligently about the draft prospects on the podcast. But I mean, it's a possibility. Look, look, the Chiefs have the draft capital to move up if they want to. They did it last year when they had a lot of picks and they moved up a, a few spots to get cornerback Trent McDuffie. So back to the question about, you know, can the Chiefs get a blue chip player? Look, I mean... Yeah, of course they can. I think anybody taken in the first round, particularly the the first half of the first round, has the potential to be one of those blue chip players. The talent some separation sometimes between the, the top end of that first round and the back. Where the Chiefs are picking, it's a little bit harder. It can still happen if they just stay put. But they have the ammo to move up. Now, how much do they want to move up is the question. I think there's going to be a lot of movement in this draft. It looks like the Chicago Bears are, are, are going to trade down. They're going to they're ride with Justin Fields. So you've got all these quarterback needy teams. There's not really a lot of good quarterbacks available in free agency. Rodgers probably going to the Jets, it sounds like. Derek Carr is already going to the Saints. So, you know, I think that there'll be a lot of movement in this draft, particularly at the top. Some of that may happen before the draft. Some, some of it may happen on draft night. But it's always good when there's move for a team like the Chiefs, when there's movement and when there's quarterbacks that teams are interested in. When you're a team like the Chiefs, who you have a franchise quarterback, all world quarterback, and Patrick Mahomes, so you're looking at all of the other positions. And so if if you have a bunch of quarterback needy teams who are desperate, who are moving around, who are, who are trying to get those quarterbacks, that just pushes good players at other positions back to the Chiefs. So it's always beneficial for the Chiefs when more quarterbacks go in front of them. Uh, John F's Wacky World says, I'd trade up to get Cal- Callahay. How do you say that? Callahay? Callahay? I think it's Callahay. Cansey. Uh, He's been compared to John Randall. And if you're old enough to remember undrafted free agent John Randall, if if Cansey is that good, Hall of Fame good, go get him. Very, very interesting comment there. Um, hey, listen, before we go any further into the show today, I've got to let you know, we've got some breaking news that I got to get to you guys right away. Uh, and that is that our sponsors, Casey Beer Co., uh, they once said that they would never release an IPA, but they just brewed one so good, they broke their own rules. It's called Never Say IPA, which let's just be honest here. This is a hilarious name for a beer. And it's the the newest beer and the first IPA to hit the KC beer lineup. The beer is a celebration of German and American brewing traditions using both German and American hops as well as German malt and yeast. This beer is so refreshing and aromatic. I just got some. I'm probably going to drink some tonight. I'll probably be drinking some on the show next week. Uh, you got to try it. It's 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 just another great beer from this award-winning brewery with such a terrific lineup of brews that you know no matter what type of beer you're into, KC Beer Co. has a style for you. So look for the red KC Beer Co. cartons in your local store and support the Arrowhead Attic podcast by supporting KC Beer Co. And do us a favor. Give them a shout out on Twitter at KC Beer Co. And let them know that you heard about their beer on our podcast and keep us in business and dare to beer different. Please drink responsibly. Don't be a clown. 21 and over. Shout out to some of our members who I see in the chat. Shout out to Doug in Kansas. I feel like Doug is our, if Clint is our PR guy on the 
you know, on the on the Apple podcast reviews page, I feel like uh, Doug is our PR guy in the chat, always reminding everybody to hit that like button, make sure that we get more Chiefs fans in here to talk ball with us. And Gonzo the Beast says, I guys just got back from my two-month darkness retreat. Who won the Super Bowl? Gonzo, man, God bless you. Two months? Two months in the Aaron Rodgers hobbit hole. Have you guys heard about this, by the way? I mean, I don't know how much of you, how many of you guys are on Twitter, but it looks like Aaron Rodgers, maybe that the reports are trickling out that he's he's going to go to the New York Jets. I don't love that because I, I still think Rodgers has something left in the tank. And I think the New York Jets have a good defense and some nice pieces on offense. You guys know I'm an Ohio State guy. They got Garrett Wilson over there. Uh, and that the running back, Brees Hall, who looked really good last year before uh, leaving the season with a season-ending injury. I got to tell you, man, if Aaron Rodgers comes to the AFC, I if you're a football fan, I mean, you've got to be watching all AFC football all the time because it's after it's kind of a wasteland out there in the NFC, and then you'll have Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen in the same division. Tua Tungavailoa, if he comes back, he was playing really well last year with Tyreek Hill. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, you've got Joe Burrow down there in the AFC North. The, the young quarterback in Pittsburgh looked good. Um, so you've just got a lot of, of talent. Obviously, you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got Justin Herbert in the AFC. Uh, I would have said Russell Wilson a year ago, but I'm not going to say that now. Um, Joshua says, are the Jets on the schedule? I don't think so off the top of my head. The schedule should be coming out, by the way, right around. I think they're doing it after the draft now. It's usually around the end of April, early May. Yeah, 2023, do not have, I don't have the Chiefs schedule here. So I don't think we're playing the Jets next year because I I don't think we're playing the East. And the Jets didn't finish in first place, so the Chiefs wouldn't play them. Are, are they on the schedule? Are we playing the East? Jalen, give me, give, give me, the, give me the, the goods over here. On if, we're, uh, on if we're playing the East, maybe I'm just completely wrong. We play them at MetLife, says Jalen. Okay, all right, so I was wrong. Got I got to bone up, y'all. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, there we go. If that happens, yes, Stacy coming and we play the Jets away next season. So that will be the first time that the Chiefs have have played that that Mahomes and Rodgers have squared off. You might remember uh, they played the Packers twice since Mahomes has been on the Chiefs, but the first time they played, Aaron Rodgers was out. Um, I think that was I think he had COVID, and uh, and that was when the Chiefs played. Uh, and then they played another time when Matt Moore played for the Chiefs when Mahomes was injured. So. They haven't squared off. So that's a matchup that I'll be interested to see, even though Aaron Rodgers is getting a little bit up there. And that just made that Jets game a lot harder. Uh, Gonzo says, do you think the Bills are going to be incredibly weaker this coming season? 
Yeah, man, I think they're going to have some departures. I know they've got some cap issues. Um, but look, it just all comes down to, to Josh Allen, right? He, he was obviously sensational a couple years ago. Kind of, you know, as our pound Nick Wright is fond of saying, he's, he's uh, what's he call him, Magic Mountain. Uh, you know, he's up and down. So he had some of those up and down games towards the end of last year. So now Brian Dayball is going to be a couple years removed from being the offensive coordinator over there. You remember he was the, the coordinator that, that Allen really flourished under. So I'm not sure, man. I, you know, it's so tricky from year to year. Sometimes teams rise and take a step back. I thought that the Bengals might be a team that would take a step back after they beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game and they went to the Super Bowl and lost. I thought, eh, maybe they're a good candidate for one of these teams that kind of comes out of nowhere um, and you know has a playoff run but then takes a step back. But then you know, you've know, you got Joe Burrow. So when you've got Joe Burrow and you've got all those receivers, um, they're probably going to be around for a while. Doug asks, do you think the Jags will be really good this season? I'm not sure on that one, man. I mean, they really seem like they were coming into their own the second half of last year. Trevor Lawrence is starting to figure it out. I mean, basically, you have to consider Trevor Lawrence's first year is, is like a redshirt year because Urban Meyer was such a disaster as a head coach that it was basically a wasted year for him. Like he, he His development was probably completely stunted. And so if you think about him getting some reps in the NFL, and that was helpful, and then last year is sort of being like his real like official rookie year, he looked like he was really coming on, and I, I don't think they're they're the most talent laden team over there. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're if they're in the hunt for ten or eleven wins again. Um, Todd Rogers says people are already picking the Chargers to win the AFC West. Wait, wait, to win the AFC or win the AFC West? You got to fill me in on if it's if it's one or both. Um, that's hilarious. Uh, I mean, you know, look, Roger uh, Herbert's good. He's talented, but what's going to happen with Keenan Allen? Is he going to depart? I could see the Chargers having a little bit of a of a reload. I'm just glad that they didn't get uh, Sean Payton um, because you know I think he would be better with with an actual quarterback. I'm not too scared of him in Denver. Um, <clears throat> Chris Chris Burton says Ridley will make the the offense better instantly. Um, yeah, check out Ridley's. He, he had a, ple- a piece on the, the Players' Tribune, which I haven't had a chance to read, but I saw people passing it around yesterday. They're actually a, a sister site of ours here at Fansided. So since we kind of meandered onto the topic of receivers, I wanted to talk to you guys about a potential receiver that could be coming to the Chiefs. And that receiver's name, can anybody guess who it is in the chat? Uh, there's, been, there's been a lot of buzz on it today on the Twitter um, because it looks like he's going to get released. I'll give you a hint. It is somebody that Verderam and I um, interviewed at the Super Bowl. If you caught some of our, our Super Bowl coverage, um, D Hop, no, John, it's not D Hop. Uh, Stacy says Keenan Allen restructured, so he'll be there next year. Oh, I missed that. Okay, all right. So Keenan's going back. Uh, yeah, Chris got it. Adam Thielen, Jalen, Adam Thielen. So <clears throat> Adam Thielen is. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's basically going to be a cap casualty for the Vikings, and they're probably going to release him. When, when, when Verderam and I talked to Thielen at the Super Bowl, first of all, one of my favorite interviews of the entire week, uh, really nice guy, really well-spoken, sharp. Um, you know, We talked to him about his contract situation, and we asked, you know, are you going to be back next year with the Vikings? And, and, and you know, the, there was a tweet from Adam Schefter today 
about it. And, and, and Schefter said, um, there's a real possibility that the Vikings and Adam Thielen will, Oh, I hate Twitter. God damn Twitter. You know how sometimes you're on something, a page and then it like refreshes. That's what happened to me. Um, there's a real possibility that the Vikings and Adam Thielen will part ways in the coming days, allowing the two time pro bowl wide receiver to become a free agent per sources. The two sides will talk in the coming days that his time in Minnesota could be coming to an end. Um, yeah, when we talked to him, I, I mean, there wasn't even a question in my mind. The way that he was talking was was basically like, hey, you know, I, I love Minnesota. I, I'd love to finish my career here, but I understand that this is a business and sometimes it, it just doesn't work out. He's owed too much money. There'd have to be a restructure. I think he hits the open market. I saw some other tweets today saying that he's maybe looking to play for a contender. Well, you know who's a contender every single year? It's the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so, you know, he's likely to be released. So KJ Osborne, his teammate, wide receiver, was on the Pat McAfee show recently. And he he called Thielen the best teammate I've ever had since I strapped up my pads when I was seven years old. He had 70 receptions for 716 yards and six touchdowns in 2022. He's 6'2", 200 pounds. Although I think at the combine, he he was like 6'1 and 1 eighth, but he's listed at 6'2 on ESPN. Um <clears throat> And he said, you know, at the Super Bowl, when we talked to him, he said he, he really believes that he can still he can play the game at a high level and he can contribute to an NFL team. Uh, he says, he, you know, he said he felt great and that he wanted to show a team that he can help them win and win now. So, you know, look, this is a guy, he's 32 years old right now, and, and he's, he's an August 22nd birthday. So he's going to turn 33. And our guy, Adam Best, has been on the TikTok talking about, receivers after they turn 30. And I see, uh, I see clips in the, in the chat saying um, Juju is much better when Juju is healthy. Um, he also says Thielen, absolutely please no and less minimum. Yeah. So like, look, I Juju's better, like Juju's a better receiver, especially at this point with longer upside, Juju's going to be far more expensive. Now they had about the same number of receptions last year. They both caught in the seventies, but Juju had about 900 yards. Thielen had 716. So he was averaging about 10 yards per reception while uh, Juju was averaging um, like 12. So, and, and he had some injury history as well. He played 10 games in 2019, 15 in 2020, 13 in 2021. I think there were some ankle issues in there, but he played 17 games last year, including the playoffs. Thielen is like, I think you have to think about this. You have to separate these two things, right? Just because he had similar, somewhat similar stats to Juju in production to Juju last year, think about the situations, right? Juju was was basically your leading receiver after Travis Kelsey. Adam Thielen, he's playing uh, with Justin Jefferson, who's just like absolutely outrageous and is is you know just eating up targets. That said, look, you you're not. I don't want to replace Juju if the Chiefs can't afford Juju. And remember, the wide receiver market is absolutely insane. Um, I don't want to replace Juju with Adam Thielen. That would not be a one-for-one one in my book. Juju's younger, he's faster, um, and he's more productive right now and, and has less risk for injury than Thielen does. But when I saw Thielen, he looked great. He was in great shape. And I think he's a guy, he's like the perfect kind of guy if, if the Chiefs can get him at a reasonable contract. I saw uh, somebody said that, that they hoped that if the Chiefs could get him at the minimum. That would be fine. I don't think they're going to get Adam Thielen at the minimum. 
not a guy who caught 70 balls last year for 700 yards. I just, he's not a veteran minimum type of guy. I think he can still produce, but if he comes in and he is a, a rotating piece in this offense that is not really f- focused in on having one receiver like they did when it was Tyreek Hill, but spreading the ball around with guys like MVS. Well, then I kind of like Adam Thielen to come in, especially, you know, the, the the report this week was that the Chiefs are expecting Kadarius Toney to, to develop into their number one receiver and that they'd like to bring Juju back. So if they keep MVS... And they keep and they and they bring back Juju on a big deal, and they think Tony ends up being their number one receiver. Then maybe there's not room for a guy like Adam Thielen. But if Juju departs in free agency, and the Chiefs are okay, okay, okay we're going to lean on Tony, we're going to lean on Sky Moore, MVS. Well, now Adam Thielen starts like if they're not going to bring in somebody else, another another veteran that's high priced. Well, then I think Adam Thielen starts looking a little bit more attractive. He's a veteran guy. He's a team first guy. Sure hands. He catches a lot of touchdowns, by the way. He's got 55 touchdowns in his career. And uh, he in 2020, he had 14 touchdowns. 2021, 10 touchdowns. Um, so you know, he's a nice red zone threat for them. <clears throat> he's got some decent size. He's not super small. So I like the move, depending on how things shake out, as long as the Chiefs aren't overpaying him. Uh, Chris Chris Burton says, I love Adam Thielen touchdown machine. Yeah, absolutely. Dude just scores touchdowns. Uh, it's always good to have red zone targets for the Chiefs. You know, I could see him coming in and making an, making an impact on maybe like a two-year deal where there's a lot of money up front in the first year and the second year is basically an option. That's what these guys tend to sign. And I think he's a guy that would definitely want that, want that two-year deal. Um, let's get some reactions from you guys. Uh, Clip says, it makes too much sense to get Lazard. excuse me, and another wide receiver in the third, which most likely will happen. Yeah, I mean, if Lazard hits the market, that's that's an intriguing wide receiver for them as well, and then they can continue to add depth through the draft. Um, Jalen says, I think it would be great great to get a true number one while we're, uh, we're playing with fire with these second and third strings and aging Kelsey. I think that's a really good point. I'm like sort of weird. Like I'm kind of in the like, do we have to have a number one? I mean, we just won the Super Bowl with this style and like, you know, I don't want to see Pat regress to where he's only looking for that one guy deep down the field and isn't spreading the ball around. I don't think he's going to regress if, if he gets a true number one. And I think there's the potential that Tony could be that guy for him. The talent is certainly there. I don't think he would regress and get back, run into that trouble he ran into in the second half against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game, where he just wasn't taking what they were giving him, and the Chiefs wouldn't run the ball and all that. Like, I think he has he has cleared that hurdle. So maybe that's an unwarranted concern on my part. Um, Samuel says, "Get Lazard." He also says, "Hell yeah, Adam Thielen would make sense and impact." But how do we get him? Yeah, I think he's going to hit the market. The thing with Thielen is he's we've talked about this the last couple episodes of the show. He fits that perfect mold of a veteran guy who has not won a super. I talked about this I think with Sterling yesterday. He hasn't won a Super Bowl. So where where the Chiefs with a guy like Juju might be like, "Hey, look, like I can hit the wide receiver market. It's crazy. I just won a Super Bowl. Now I just want to make as much money as possible." And he's maybe not as inclined to come back on like a team-friendly deal. Well, you can understand how you know, that's sort of a negative for a team like the Chiefs. But for a guy like Thielen, those are the kinds of guys that a team like the Chiefs could attract and maybe attract on a cheaper deal. Whereas Thielen's like, okay, I've made money, but like I want to compete at a high level. Like he's a guy that I don't think does Adam Thielen want to go and play for like Washington 
or somebody like that who, you know, or a rebuilding team or like even a team with like, uh, you know, the, the bears have a lot of money to throw around this off season. Does he want to go to the bears? Like a team that's like trying to figure out if their quarterbacks, the right guy, like he wants to go to a team like the bills or the chiefs that has a, where he comes in and he can be a contributor. He'll get a chance to play and get targets, which he would with the chiefs. Um, and win a Super Bowl. I mean, if I'm Adam Thielen, I'm coming to Kansas City. Like I'm tr- like that's where I want to go. I want to play with Patrick Mahomes. This is a guy who, in his career, by the way, um, his quarterbacks. So he got there in 2014. So in 2014, he played with uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Christian Ponder started a game for them. Uh, can anybody guess who the third quarterback in 2014 was? To he started three games for the Vikings. Um, in in 2013, uh, well, boy, I've gone off the rails. That was the year before Adam Thielen got there. Sorry, everybody. It was Matt Castle, by the way. Matt Castle was there. And, no, no, he was 2014. Well, so I've ruined my own trivia question. Um, <laughs> so he played with Teddy Bridgewater, Matt Castle, and Christian Ponder. Then Teddy again in 2015. Uh, then Sam Bradford in for 15 games in 2016, and Sean Hill in one game. 2017, Case Keenum and Sam Bradford. Uh, 2017, by the way, was his big breakout season where he caught 91 balls for 1,276 yards and four touchdowns. He did that with Case Keenum. And then, yeah, Lucas got it, Kirk Cousins, uh, or uh, Matt Castle. And then and then he played with Kirk Cousins in 2018 um, where he had his his other really you know remarkable season where he went for 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns, caught 113 balls. Then he got hit with the injury bug um, and, and hasn't gone over 1,000 yards since. So he played 15 games in 2020 and, and went for 925 yards. So last two years, he's gone for over 700 yards. He's never played with like a, a great quarterback. He's played with a good quarterback um, with Kirk Cousins, but he's never played for a great one. So, you know, I uh, clip says stealing two targets, zero catches in three games with Matt Castle. Brutal. Yeah, he's not the only one to to have suffered. Poor Matt Castle, always, always catching strays. Um uh, Richard Wilson says uh, that is why running the ball is important. We need another diamond in the rough at running back late run. The ball will help Mahomes in the long run. Yeah. I think, I, I just think this offense lends itself to, uh, they can plug guys in. Like if they've got Isaiah Pacheco, I don't think they need a great running back. I think they need somebody who can help in pass pro and maybe somebody who can help in the screen game like Jarek McKinnon. I don't know if Jarek McKinnon's going to be back. We'll see how that goes. Um, Brian Gale says, I think we leave Tony in his current role. We can get more explosive plays and create mismatch in current role. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, it sounds like McCole Hardman's gone, right? So, you know, I, but I think Tony is, this is a guy who was like a top 20 pick, I think, by the Giants. I would love to see Tony uh, just blossom with this Chiefs team. I'm really interested to see what happens when he gets a year with the Chiefs training staff, which I know that report just came out and they got torn apart by anonymously by some of their own players. But um, Tony's Tony's a first round pick talent and he's now playing with Patrick Mahomes. He came in mid season. He didn't have a training camp with these guys. He was still learning the offense. The chiefs as Verderam reported from this very show looked at him as a move to make an impact for next year. And instead he made an impact this year and helped them win a Super Bowl. You didn't have crazy numbers or anything, but you see why, He's a problem when he's on the field and teams have to look out for him. But Thielen, I love Thielen as a potential option depending on how everything goes with the Chiefs. If he comes over on a on a on a smart deal for Casey, why not? 
sure-handed, veteran depth. He's good in the red zone. You're not looking for him to be, you know, your number. I mean, maybe he's your number three, four receiver. If he wants to play, like that's that's good news. And this is an offense where they spread the ball around. Um, Mark says Tony is injury prone, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, look, is Tony another Sammy Watkins? Maybe. But if the Chiefs training staff, I mean, look, we've seen, look at, Look at the Chargers, man. Like that training staff, I don't look what's going on over there. It's a mass unit over there all the time. The Chiefs generally are pretty good with injuries. So maybe after a training program for Tony with the Chiefs, he's not quite as injury prone, although he's got to be careful with some of those juke moves, man. I think he he hurts himself. Um, Chris says, if the defense keeps getting younger and better through the draft, imagine the the TOP opportunities Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to get so to me, older and established offensive offensive veterans will salivate from the mouth to sign a one-year deal uh, in the mid to late 20s to produce good numbers and, uh, and, with a, and maybe go to a big deal with another team after chasing the elusive rank. Yeah, like, I mean, it all depends on the character of the person and what's important to them. Um, but that's certainly, that's certainly a draw for the Chiefs. Samuel says, I'm putting a lot of faith in the Ross at wide receiver. Man, I hope they 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 shine. Imagine that. Yeah, I mean, look, like this is uh Justin Ross equals a new Jody Fortson. We all fall in love with with some of these guys, right? Um, Tone, what's up, buddy? Uh, we all fall in love with some of these guys and hope they can be the next diamond in the rough. And the Chiefs are in they're in a really enviable enviable position because they they're gonna have cap space. They are pretty well set at most of their positions. And now they can kind of sit back in this draft, depending on what happens with Orlando Brown Jr. I think they can sit back and they don't have to make a move. They can move up for a player they like. They can move back. They can let a good player fall to them. They're in a really good spot with all the draft picks. Tom says, I'd like to see us re-sign Orlando Brown because good left tackles don't grow on trees. That's it, man. Like, where is the left tackle going to come from? If he doesn't, if it's not Orlando Brown, um, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that Brett Veach plays this. It's going to be fascinating. Stacy says, can't count on bigger contributions from Tony or more. Ross is a lottery ticket. You need a solid third option to pair with MVS and Kelsey. I, if, if Juju leaves, yes, I completely agree with Stacy. If Juju leaves, I'm, I don't want to put my, my eggs in the, in the Tony Skymore basket. Skymore is, a complete unknown at this point. You can see the talent, but maybe he takes that second year leap. Maybe he doesn't. Um, it's a little bit of a roll of the dice. All the rest of the guys, you know, Tony, the talent is there, but the injury history, even when he got to Kansas City, he he was hurt. He had problems. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something you just, you need receivers. So you want to double down, triple down. Lucas says, Justin Watson had a great, a greater chance, has a greater chance to be their number one than Justin Ross. Ross's athleticism has deteriorated significantly. Yeah, let's see how the preseason goes. Uh, just like last year, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. I think that it's probably going to be very similar to last preseason where Mahomes is just spreading the ball around and there's not a clear number one. I I just think they've had so much success with it this year that they're going to run it back offensively. And I'm not really sure there's a way to stop it, to be perfectly honest with you, unless they get to the point where they just have no talent like they did with all the injuries um, in the playoffs, uh, they still managed to win. Uh, Stacy says, you know, who's coming back 
you know who's coming back, Patrick. Justin Watson uh, makes too much sense to return to this team. He knows the offense, and he'll be cheap. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's, you know, you heard that Mahomes really liked him, and he made some plays here and there for them. Clip says Sky Moore complete is completely slept on. If he got drafted to a completely irrelevant team, uh, he would be a guy everyone would be on to smash season two. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, a lot of people thought he was going to break out as a rookie you know, they were looking at the chiefs wide receiver core and they were like, yeah, this guy, he's going to make an immediate impact. Um, he was just ended up kind of just being a guy for them, but he caught a touchdown in the super bowl. So Lucas says I'm rooting for Justin Ross, but he was an undrafted free agent for a reason. <clears throat> he's purely a $1 lottery ticket. And that's a pipe dream that he can reach the ceiling. We thought he had four years ago. I mean, I can't argue with that. I'm really surprised at all the Justin Ross talk and all the Justin Ross love. I, I didn't, I didn't expect that. <clears throat> By the way, before we get to, we got um, Jason Reed coming up, and uh, I wanted to let you know that we have a deal for you though at Caesars. If you want to support this podcast, you know, help us pay to bring Verderam back on occasion. You go to Caesars if you're interested in betting in Kansas and use the code Arrowful. You'll get your first bet on Caesars up to $1,250. Minimum $10 wager required. Must register with eligible promo code. New customers only 21 plus and present in Kansas. If you have a gambling problem, call or text 1-800-522-4700. Kansas, you can see the full terms at caesars.com slash sportsbook dash and dash casino or in the description below. You can always go to arrowheadaddict.com slash bets too to see all of our betting deals. Every time you're a new better and you sign up with one of those, we get a fee. It really helps the show. Again, the code is arrowfull at Caesars. All right. So hold on a second. I just got a I just got a message from Matt Connor and it's compensatory draft choices for 16 clubs. A total of 37 compensatory compensatory draft selections in the 2023 NFL draft have been awarded to 16 teams. The NFL announced today. Let's take a look here. Round three, number 37, that would be the 100th pick. The Kansas City Chiefs get a third round compensatory pick and officially a sixth round compensatory pick. Number 40 uh, in that round. So number 217 overall, a seventh. Number 33, uh, 33 uh, 250 for the Chiefs. So let me make sure that's all of them. Yeah. So let's see what this says here because there's some text. I'm going to live uh, live show everybody. So sorry for a little bit of a delay here. But <clears throat> in addition to the 30 compensatory selections awarded under the net loss formula and two supplemental selections, five special comp- compensatory selections were awarded to three clubs, the Cleveland Browns, San Francisco 49ers. Three, th- they got three special compensatory selections and the Kansas City Chiefs under a 2020 amendment to the league's collective bargaining agreement, which was agreed upon by the NFL and the NFLPA to promote equal employment opportunities and inclusive workforce within NFL clubs. The initiative provides that the prior employer club of a minority employee who has been hired by another club as its head coach or primary football executive GM will receive compensatory pick in the form of a draft selection at the end of the third round uh, of each of the next two drafts. So this is the Ryan Poles going to Chicago. Um, so yeah, as Stacy points out, um, four top 100 picks. I love it. 100, 217, 250, and of course, 31. Um, that's, I mean, this is, this is what's so great uh, for the Chiefs. You know, um, they have a million draft picks in this draft and they have a lot of flexibility to move up, move back or take the guys that they want. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, 
by the way, before we get to Jason, um, can you let me know, are you guys going to be, is anybody going to be in Kansas city for the draft? Um, yeah. And, and Matt Connor. Yeah. Let me know in, in the chat. Are you going to be in Kansas city for the draft? Matt Connor uh, messaged me as well. <clears throat> chiefs get, uh, an extra third. So that's 12 total picks for the chiefs. One is pick 100, which is at the end of the third round. So the chiefs have four picks in the top 100. So 12 draft picks for the super bowl champion, Kansas city chiefs. It's just absolutely incredible. Stacy says, hell yes, he's going to be at the draft. Evan's going to be there. Jalen says, I wish. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to be there. I'm coming out one way or the other. I think we're going to try to get credentialed um, for the draft. But I'd love to do a meetup with some of you guys at, at Casey Beer, um, wherever. Just hang out maybe uh, the night before or something like that or in the day, get some lunch. So love to see you. Love to meet you. DJC is going to be there. Awesome. Okay, so more to come. I'll let you guys know uh, what the deal is. Um, all right, so we got to get to Jason Reed at ESPN. Uh, we're going to talk Mahomes, his legacy. Um, we're going to do go through all that. We're going to play that interview for you right now. Jason and I talked, talked earlier today um, because he was traveling down, I think, to New Orleans to uh, promote his book. So um, check it out. Our pal from ESPN and Anscape, Jason Reed, talking Mahomes, Legacy, and the Super Bowl. I'll see you on the other side of the clip. Hey, everybody. I am happy to welcome Jason Reed back to the show. Jason is a senior NFL writer at ESPN and Anscape, and he's also the author of the terrific book, Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. We talked to Jason about his book when it came out. Jason, how you been, man? I've been great. How you been doing? I'm very, as a Chiefs fan, very well, very well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. How 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 have things been going with the book? I know you're 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 still going around and, and promoting it. Yeah, you know, it, it really uh, picked up the week uh, of the NFC and the AFC championship games. I wonder why. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, with with Jalen Hurts getting in with the Eagles, and then Patrick obviously getting in uh, with the Chiefs, you know, first time two black quarterbacks ever faced off in the, in the Super Bowl. And so um, it kind of gave the book a whole new life. Uh, I've been doing a lot more promotion, um, you know, the sales, you know, it, it, it was almost like the book debuted again. So it's really been yeah. great and, you know, really excited about it. That's incredible. Congratulations on all that success. I, I, I wanted to talk to you about Mahomes, who, um, you know, rightfully has an entire chapter dedicated to him in your book. Uh, before the AFC Championship game, you wrote an article about Mahomes being on an all-time trajectory. Um, but, you, you know, you rightfully pointed out that it, to that point, the Bengals had the Chiefs number. You know, in your view, what does his most recent run, you know, beating the Bengals and then winning the Super Bowl while dealing with a, a really painful ankle injury, what does that mean for his legacy and his trajectory, as you mentioned? Well, you know, first, Patrick, with, with legacy, um, his legacy is now set. You know, you, you talk about people being all-time greats. You know, my thing about Patrick before this year was, look, he is an all-time talent. Okay, there's, there's no question about that. He's a generational talent. He may be the best talent at that position ever, but I couldn't say he was an all-time great before this season because, you know, the hardware matters. I mean, he had one Super Bowl trophy, one Super Bowl MVP award, and one AP League MVP award. So, you know, people – actually, I got into it on Twitter with some people because they were like, well, he's already an all-time great. I said, no, he, he's not. He's an all-time talent, but – he doesn't have multiple Super Bowls. He doesn't have multiple MVP awards. He doesn't have multiple Super Bowl trophies. Well, he has all those things now. And, you know, when you talk about 
the greatest six-year window at the start of an NFL career for a quarterback, he is now at the top of that list. He even trumps Brady. Brady had one more Super Bowl after six seasons, three to two, but Brady had no AP MVP awards. Patrick has two Super Bowl trophies. I believe Brady, and I'd have to go back and double check, but I think he had two Pro Bowl appearances. Patrick has five straight. Patrick has been the first team uh, Pro Bowl, excuse me, first team All Pro quarterback twice. So, you know, when we talk about it, it's the it's the greatest start in NFL history for a quarterback. And now he is now you can't talk about Patrick Mahomes with Joe Burrow or or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert anymore. He's now squarely in the conversation with Tom Brady and Joe Montana and and Peyton Manning too. Where would you rank him right now as far as all those top guys go? Well, here's the thing. I mean, Brady has seven Super Bowls. Uh, I believe he has three AP MVP awards. Montana has four Super Bowls. I believe he has two or three AP MVP awards. Um, I can't put him over Brady yet just because of the sheer, I mean, the numbers. I mean, the the volume of success. I can't put him over Montana. I, I think... I think when we, if we have this conversation five years from now, I think if everything holds to form, you'll only be talking about him and Brady at that point. But right now, I, I still put him behind Brady, Montana, and Manning. I mean, Manning's got five AP MVP awards. So, yeah. you know, he's in, he's in that group now, and his legacy is secure now with, with, with multiple championships and everything else I just mentioned. But um, I, I think – the, the, the next thing to look at is the next six-year period. Because if that next six-year period looks anything like this first one, again, I think we're going to be talking about him and Tom Brady, and that's it. Very exciting thing to hear for a Chiefs fan. I, I don't think many of us ever thought we would be here. Um, so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, actually, before I talk about the Super Bowl, real quickly, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the actual ankle injury that he had. I think, you know, we have some of these great, as sports fans, some of these great moments, you know, obviously Jordan's flu game, things like that. Does, does Mahomes doing this on that ankle injury after the team traded away Tyreek Hill, like, does that raise his legacy somewhat in a way that just a regular standard Super Bowl run may not have? Yeah, th- th- this was my whole story the night of the Super Bowl. You know, you trade away Tyreek Hill, who is a Hall of Fame receiver and arguably the most dominant receiver of this period, okay? At least of the period where Patrick has been a starter. There's no way you should be even in the Super Bowl, let alone win it. And, you know, I, I look at I look at Patrick's first MVP award where, you know, he's throwing bombs to Tyreek Hill and, and they're, you know, and obviously Kelsey too, but he was a big play artist. This year, he's not a game manager, but he's a guy who is so smart and in such command of the offense that I, I believe he completed touchdowns to 11 different Chiefs receivers this year. I mean, just, just, an, just an absurd number. So yeah. with, that, with that injury, you know, he, he, he gets hurt against the Jaguars. And there were some people on Twitter who were saying, oh, he's faking it. You know, no, I mean, like you have a high ankle sprain like that. Those things can, can linger for months, okay? That run in the Super Bowl on that injury, that's the stuff of lore. That's the type of thing that in 15 years, you know, when, 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 you know, when he's done, when he's probably, you know, done at that point, that's the thing people will go back and point to. You, you know, you, you talk about Montana. You talk about the pass to the Dwight Clark to beat the Cowboys. You, you, you talk about that drive against the Bengals to win, the other, to, to win that Super Bowl. People are going to talk about Patrick Mahomes 
in that situation, getting the Chiefs what they needed. Um, it, it's a legacy play. Yeah, I agree. It's it's funny to think about because he's had so many great throws as well, but two of his most iconic plays are runs. Uh, the run that he had against the Tennessee Titans in the AFC Championship game, one of the greatest runs by a quarterback I think I've ever seen. Again, that he pretty much slammed the door on them at that point. So his will to win uh, at all costs, I think, combined with his talent is one of the things that makes him such a special player. When we get to the Super Bowl, I, I obviously I'd love to hear your thoughts on the matchup between Mahomes and Hurts. It was, as you mentioned, the first time two black quarterbacks started the big game and both signal callers delivered spectacular performance. I, I think it was a classic game from my point of view. Definitely glad we came out on the right end of it. You know, obviously you wrote a book about the strides that black quarterbacks have made in the league. Can you talk to us just about the significance of that moment? Well, I, I mean, this was a, a moment that was 100 plus years in the making. I mean, remember the NFL was founded in 1920. And for much of the NFL's history, black men who aspired to play quarterback were the most marginalized group. I mean, they weren't allowed to do it for myriad reasons. You know, they team owners and executives and and coaches thought that they were too stupid, that they that they couldn't lead white men. Um, and, you know, obviously, Doug Williams, his performance in the Super Bowl, uh, you know, back in 1988 and then moving forward, you know, but there had never been two black quarterbacks you know, squaring off, facing off in the Super Bowl. But the thing that I also find so important about that matchup, it wasn't just two black quarterbacks. Patrick and Jalen finished one and two in the AP MVP, AP MVP voting. Patrick and Jalen finished one, two in the all pro voting. Patrick was the first team all pro. Jalen was the second team all pro. They led the teams with the best records in the league, AFC and NFC. So to me, if it had just been two black quarterbacks, you know, just two guys who, you know, happened to, to be the quarterbacks of these great teams, it still would have been significant. But the fact that these were the best two quarterbacks in the league by any metric, okay, in terms of, you know, how they, how they were with the postseason situation, awards, all pro voting, and they led the two best teams. And then they had this classic Super Bowl matchup, this classic performance. I just think it really all came together. Yeah, it sure did. They were both, and, and I think both folk, really focal points for the team. I think maybe Patrick a, a little bit more so on the Chiefs' offense, um, whereas uh, they didn't have the Chiefs didn't have as, as as solid of a defense as Philadelphia had. Um, but Jalen too, what he could do and his different style of play than Patrick, uh, the the quarterback sneaks, all of those things. I thought it was really fantastic just to see the array of talent that these guys brought to the game. Uh, it just made for a really, you know, they say styles make fights. I thought it was a really, really great matchup um, between two solid teams. So, look, I, I grew up in Northeast Ohio. I'm a Cavaliers fan. And uh, I, I just a few months before the Cavs won the NBA title, ESPN released a 30 for 30 documentary on Cleveland's championship drought. And uh, after the Cavs beat the Warriors, they added an epilogue to the documentary to acknowledge the end of the drought. And just like the documentary, your book seemed to arrive right at the right time. Um, if there's ever a second printing, would you like to add a chapter to it about the Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, you know, if, 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 the, if there were a second printing, sure. I mean, um, part of me feels like the Super Bowl was the capper to the whole book. That, yeah. you know, as I, as I talked about the rise of the black quarterback, well, the rise is now complete. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, I But in part of me feels like it almost... It, it almost was the perfect ending 
to everything that I wrote in all those chapters, because this yeah. was the, the result of all those years of the pioneers and people believing that, look, if we just get an opportunity, like, you know, Patrick, when Patrick won the MVP in his first season as a starter, so many of the, pine, the black quarterback pioneers were like, this guy is going to be the greatest quarterback in the league. And we always knew that one of us could do it. We just had to get the opportunity. And um, yeah. yeah, very long-winded answer. But yeah, I would definitely do that. Um, yeah, you were you were right on time. And I, I couldn't help but think about you when they both made the the big game. And I remember you wrote an article and you talked to to Doug Williams. And I, I remember from the article was a, some striking imagery. He said, I, I have water in my eyes or tears in my eyes. And when when Jalen, he said, when Jalen made the, the Super Bowl, and then the, the the second game came on. I was rooting really hard for Patrick uh, for this to happen. Did you hear from anybody else that you talked to, you know, when you were working on the book when that happened? Oh, I talked to Warren Moon about it. There were other there were NFL executives I talked about it, guys who were, who are retired and also guys who are still in the game. Um, I got texts from from coaches about it. I mean, it was a really it wasn't a very powerful emotional moment for a lot of people you know there's all yeah. this stuff going on right now with with you know hiring of black coaches in the nfl and there's there's all this you know surrounding things about you know where the league is and those types of matters so this was really a very powerful moment for a lot of people because of what it represented yeah absolutely and if you guys if you haven't checked out the book yet make sure you do because it really you know i sometimes i'll see i'll see tweets and things from people when when we mention things like this and they'll say oh well you know why do we have to point it out and i you know read read a book like this because if you don't if you don't i think like if you don't understand why people want to point these things out why people want to talk about these things and have conversations about these things and then you go and you read a book like this and you you understand the history of why it's significant it's not just that people are trying to rub an agenda in your face um and i think it's just really important and your book did a really good job of of of, of setting the table for this. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I wanted to ask you too about the uh, last thing on the Super Bowl for weeks after their NFL pundits were talking about the holding call on James Bradbury that allowed the Chiefs to get a first down, enabling them to basically run out the clock and win the game. Now, many of your own colleagues, even at ESPN, agreed that it, some of them were saying, hey, yeah, it was holding, but they didn't think the flag should have been thrown. Now, Chiefs fans listening to this podcast obviously disagree, but what was your take on that call? Well, you know, okay. <laughs> So a lot to unpack with that. I, I'm sitting in the stadium in the press box. I'm working on my story. Let's talk, we got to remember the narrative going into this game. The Eagles had this imposing defense, the best defensive line in the league. You know, seventy plus sacks. They were gonna, they were gonna, you know, just just destroy the Chiefs' offensive line. And Mahomes was gonna be on his back the whole game if he even if he even was able to finish the game. The Eagles did not get home once. They had no sacks. You know, Kadarius Toney, like, like Brent Veach is the best general manager in the NFL. And I remember when, when that trade was made with the Giants, I was like, oh, my God, they just gave away this, this impact player that, that the Chiefs are going to turn, turn into a guy who's going to – teams are going to regret this. Longest punt return in the history of the Super Bowl. Then, then on two jet sweep plays – the, the, the Chiefs saw something in, in the Eagles film that led them to believe, OK, well, these guys are going to be uncovered. And they were both uncovered for touchdowns on consecutive plays or, or excuse me, on consecutive drives, the same play. I, I offer all that to say this. You want to complain to me about a legitimate holding call? Look, I, under, I understand why people felt cheated, because, look, like everybody else, I thought to myself, OK, the Chiefs you know, are going to be able to, to, to run off the clock here. 
you know, Hurts is going to get the ball back and the score will be tied again. So people felt cheated from that standpoint, but he held them. He, he held them and he admitted he held them. I mean, and, and you saw it on the replays. So I don't buy into this thing about, well, the officials should have swallowed, you know, the, the, their whistle. They, should, they shouldn't have called anything, that type of thing. I mean, to me, what you, well, at what point do you do that in the game? Do you do that if the score is tied? Do you do it only in, in the fourth quarter? I saw, to me, that whole thing was nonsensical. The Eagles didn't yeah. lose the game because of that call. They lost the game because they got no sacks, because they got out coached, and because they gave up, uh, they had a, a massive special teams breakdown. That's why they lost the game. Yeah, I totally agreed. Um, and I, I, a lot of credit to James Bradbury for owning up to the to the call after the game. And they, 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 the Eagles just didn't have a, an answer for the Chiefs' offense in that second half. And it was, a, it was a heck of a game. Unfortunate that sometimes penalties are involved late, but it was, it was a holding call. You mentioned the the jet sweep plays, and those plays were that was Eric Bieniemy. Um, Eric Bieniemy saw these plays, and I, I think that I read. I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I think that I read that he showed them that on Saturday night before the Super Bowl, um, which is just incredible, and, and speaks to him as a coach. That's that, you know the, the, the Chiefs might tell you, oh, the work was all done the week before the Super Bowl. You know they're going right up to the wire. What is your you know, what is your take on the Eric Bieniemy situation who gets passed over again for head coaching jobs and seemingly has to clear this bar that other coaches don't have to clear that he has to make a, a, a lateral move. And it is a lateral move. He's gotten a little bit of an elevated title. I'm sure he got a raise uh, to kind of get out of, of Andy Reid's shadow. Um, what is your take on that whole situation with Bieniemy? Well, well, first of all, let me, let me say this. And I, and I wrote a whole column on this. I'm not saying anything. I'm not speaking out of turn here. I don't think it's a lateral move. I mean, look, I know he got more money. Don't get me wrong. I know he got more money. He will be the only play caller. Um, He got a a bump in title. I guess he's assistant head coach. But there is no universe in which going from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Washington Commanders, I don't care if he's making a million dollars more a year. That's not a lateral move. He had to take a step back, okay? Mm. Because – you know, let, let, let's just forget for a second that he's got this generational quarterback who might go down as the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. You, you're, you're talking about going to an organization that is a complete train wreck, and you're leaving an organization that where you got the best general manager, the best head coach not named Bill Belichick, and again, the, the, the best player in the NFL who happens to play quarterback. And if you're an offensive coordinator, that's a pretty big thing. Okay, so yeah. that aside, my thing about the Vietnamese situation is this. And I, let me and let me preface this with this. I'm not someone who cries racism at everything, you know, in spite of what people may think from reading my book and seeing some of my work. I don't see racism in everything. I do see racism in the Eric enemy situation because no offensive coordinator under Andy Reid or no offensive coordinator in the last five years has had this guy's level, level of success. I mean, right. you know, five straight AFC championship games. Five straight AFC championship games hosted, a quarterback, two-time MVP, and the play calling structure, with 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 you know an exception from one year when Nagy took it over late in the season because the team was struggling and he gave it you know gave it up. It's the same structure that they have for most of the time Nagy was there, for the time Peterson was there. You know, so the only difference is that Eric Bieniemy is black, and and, and I truly believe this. If Eric Bieniemy were white, he would have gotten a job after the first Super Bowl. I, I mean, I don't, and I don't know. And, and I think for me, people could, you know, and I've gotten this with, gotten into this with people and like, well, you know, you don't know that, you know, well, here's how I do know it because there are only three black head coaches in the NFL. It would be one thing right. if there were, if there were ma- many black head coaches, well, then you could say, well, maybe it's just an Eric Bieniemy thing. 
But it's not just an Airbnb thing. You know, the NFL has this program. It's called the Accelerator Program. And, and the point of the program is to get the team owners together with up-and-coming uh, assistant coaches, up-and-coming player personnel people, up-and-coming business side people, so that, you know, because hiring the NFL is all about who you know. And, the, you know, if, if you don't know someone or, or are familiar with people who do know them, then it's, odds are you're not going to hire them. So, you know, they had this first accelerator program thing in Atlanta this past year. And I, I walk into the, to the uh, JW Marriott in Buckhead, and I see Eric. I'm like, he should not have to be here. I mean, the, the Chiefs at the time, it, I mean, yeah, they lost to the Bengals in, in the AFC Championship game, but it was four straight AFC Championships games. So, look, I, I, I don't think the commanders are going to be successful. The, the organization's a train wreck. Ron Rivera is probably on his last leg. Um, and I think it will, be a, it will be used against Eric if they're not successful. Oh, see, he couldn't do it without Andy Reid. So that's my thinking on that situation. I a hundred percent agree. And, you know, we have these conversations and sometimes with our listeners or on Twitter and, you know, people say, I know, I understand why people don't want to believe that it's, it's racism or it's because of his skin color. Well, yes, it would be wonderful. We all lived in a world where people were just judged on their merits, but it just doesn't work that way. You know, some of the excuses I see thrown out about Eric, are, well, what if he's a terrible interview? And to that, I say, have you ever seen the man speak? Like I, obviously I've never been in the room when he was interviewed, but I could not I could not believe for a second that he's like some weird, awkward guy in an interview. When you see him take the podium, you see him talk about the team and talk about the offense, you know, then you see, oh, well, he gets into it with players. You know, people people don't like him. And it's like you hear Patrick Mahomes talk about him. Like, and you often don't hear those kinds of conversations when you see a white coach getting into it with a player on the sideline. You're not like, oh, well, he's so there's these judgments that come in, I think, from people that are that are just unfair. And as you pointed out, a ridiculously high bar that it seems like this man has to clear that he has to go to a terrible team with no quarterback that, as you mentioned, has been a disaster and succeed there to prove what he's already proven in multiple seasons in the NFL. Um, well, I know, I know Chiefs fans, most Chiefs fans will be pulling for him. So I hope hopefully they can get it together. The last question I wanted to ask you, not a Chiefs question, but you just wrote a column on it today and I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I wanted to ask you about it. And that's the Lamar Jackson situation. You know, after the Ravens put the, the, the tag on Lamar, there was this like immediate report that came out of all these quarterback needy teams that are not going to pursue, pursue him. And this raised a lot of eyebrows for some people uh, that, hey, are the owners colluding here to prevent another player from securing a fully guaranteed contract? What is what is what is your column about? People can check it out later today. And and, and what's your opinion on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, that's what I that's um, you, know, you hit it on the head. That's what I wrote about. And look, I, I'm not naive enough to believe that that, you know, owners want to tamp down this quarterback market. They were furious that the Haslam's gave Deshaun Watson $230 million guaranteed. They did it because they were in a horrible position and they really, really, really needed a franchise quarterback. You know, and they even dealt with all of the blowback from w Watson's situation. Yeah. So I, I get that. I do believe that there's probably something there about that in terms of, okay, the owners want to tamp down this market. They don't want these quarterbacks getting fully guaranteed contracts like that. Um, very hard to prove collusion, obviously. But I, I, I mean, look, you'd have to be really naive to think that there's not part of that there. But I'm a little different on this thing because, you know, if 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 Joe Burrow had come available, if and, and just hang with me for a second on this, because this would have never happened. But let's say let's say Brent Veach and Andy Reid had had, you know, gotten to a point with Patrick 
where they gave him the non-exclusive tag. There would have been teams lined up on Tuesday at 4.30 to try to get him. Like, there are things about Lamar, we can't ignore the fact that that Lamar has missed 11 games the last two seasons, including a playoff game. You know that old line about really your best ability is your availability. I mean, 11 mm-hmm. games is – I mean, he's played in 12 games each of the last two years. He, missing all those games uh, two seasons ago cost the Ravens getting in, and missing all these games this year probably cost him at least advancing in the playoffs. Um, you know, additionally – no team in the, in the NFL plays the way the Ravens play because of Lamar. And, you know, there may be some teams that don't want to go all in to tear down their offense and rebuild it to play the way that the, that the Ravens play. And then, you know, the last part of it for me is, look, you got to give up to, to, to just if, if you're going to get it. If, if you, you know, make an offer and the Ravens don't match it, you're giving up two number one draft picks. Okay, two. You're giving up two number ones and people say, well, Lamar's a former MVP. You know, you, you would do that in a minute. Well, I think you would do that in a minute for Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if every team that needs a quarterback would do that for Lamar for all of the reasons I've just mentioned. And, and, and here's the last thing. And I don't hold this against Lamar. And I think Lamar is a great player. And I don't buy that, you know, Lamar has improved as a passer, but he's still a work in progress in the drop back game. I mean, this ain't Joe Burrow. This ain't Patrick Mahomes. You know, this ain't yeah. Deshaun Watson. But but the last thing about it is, okay, you give up the two ones. You you, you give him the money. You, you accept the injury potential because, look, he's missed all these games the last two years. He has not had a lot of success in the playoffs. So – if you're factoring all the things that you would have to do to get him, again, if it's Patrick Mahomes with two Super Bowl trophies, two Super Bowl MVP awards, you know, okay, yeah, if he's available on the non-exclusive me, on the non tag, you're going to line up to try to get him. But there are all those other things with Lamar, and it's not like he's a proven commodity at the most important time of the year. So I think there's a lot of factors there. So you think he's back with Baltimore next year? <sighs> My guess is yes. Because I, like you know, no no one knows exactly what Lamar wants. I mean, no no one in the public has been speculated, but he's accomplished more in the field than Deshaun has. So it's perfectly legitimate if he if he did ask for two hundred and forty million guaranteed. I mean, Deshaun got two hundred and thirty. So yeah, I mean, I, I think he probably goes back to the the Ravens for all those reasons. I'll tell you what, if he does, if you're a fan of quarterback play, you're going to want to watch a lot of AFC. Football this year, especially if Aaron Rodgers ends up on the Jets. Holy moly. A lot of great quarterbacks over on the AFC side. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. We know we you got some travel. You got some more book promotion to do. It's always awesome to have you on the show and get your NFL insight. Really appreciate you coming by. Guys, read his book, Rise of the Black Quarterback. It's absolutely terrific if you're a football fan and a fan of history in general. Check it out. All right. That was Jason Reed from ESPN and Anscape. I got to tell you guys, I mentioned this in the chat while we were all watching the interview together. Just one of my favorite guests to have on and talk football. Obviously, he's still promoting his book. It was really cool what he said about it, kind of having uh, almost a new debut when Mahomes and Jalen Hurts became the two uh, first black quarterbacks to play one another in the Super Bowl. Just really, really cool. Super nice guy. He and I have become friendly on on Twitter, and uh, I, I talked with him. I think the night of the Super Bowl or, or, or shortly after about that holding call on Bradbury. And I loved his take on it, which is the correct take, which is that it's holding, it's holding, it's holding. And if you're, as some of you mentioned in the chat, 
it should have been holding earlier in the game. And if it wasn't called, we'll complain about that. But don't complain when they get the calls right. I just have always hated this whole, you don't call that penalty here mentality. It just doesn't make sense. If it's a penalty, it's a penalty. Nobody wants the refs to get involved. We don't want things too ticky tacky. Like I get that. But if it's a if it's a penalty at a at a juncture of the game, people say, well, the refs, the refs decided it. Well, if they if they don't throw the flag, then they decided it in favor of the Eagles in that situation. And the Chiefs are the one getting screwed. So just because you don't want to see the flag and you want to see the refs, now you're all pissed off. Like it 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 affects both teams one way or the other. So that whole argument right from the start is just completely absurd. Mark Johnson says, uh, Patrick, I appreciate you guys getting different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. Jason's great, man. I thought, uh, I thought he was really fair on his criticism of both the Eric Bianami situation and his criticism of the Lamar Jackson situation. Uh, Lamar has not been available in the last couple of years. He, he does have some deficiencies as a passer. He has not been good in the playoffs. So, you know, there's shades of gray with these things, right? It's not everyone's colluding over here and, um, you know, that Lamar's a bum over here. It's it's, it's shades of gray. And I think that these teams, rightfully, I'm generally pretty pro player, but they're, they're concerned about these guaranteed contracts. So you've got a lot of things going on in this situation. I think for Lamar Jackson, um, I think he he's, should be right at home in Baltimore. I think they've built a whole offensive system around him, and I hope they work it out because he's one of my favorite players to watch play. I always get nervous when the Chiefs play them, and I know they've had pretty good success against the Ravens and Lamar, but like he scares me, man. He's one of those game-record guys. I wanted to ask you guys real quickly before we get out of here just kind of what your thoughts were on the Mahomes legacy conversation. Uh, I think when Verderam and I were talking about this, we said, hey, you know, Mahomes is, we think now, number three behind Montana and Brady. Jason has Manning in there. Now, Mahomes has got the Super Bowls with Manning, but Manning does have all those MVP awards. So, you know, I think it's okay at this point to look at Mahomes and be like, all right, he's... Definitely top five all time and knowing that he's still really young and has all of these years to make up the ground. And he doesn't have to, in my view, he does not have to pass Tom Brady in number of Super Bowls to be considered the greatest quarterback of all time. What Brady's done, I mean, his longevity is just insane. It's unreasonable to expect that Mahomes is going to play until he's 45. He might, but it's just very unlikely and to continue to have the success and the team continuity and all those things around him. Um, let's see some of your responses. Angry drunken German ever opinionated says Manning is overrated. His little brother has as many rings as he does. Fair point. Um, I don't, I, I mean, I think Manning was, he was incredible in his prime, just almost unstoppable, but did have trouble getting the rings for all the wins he racked up. Uh, Doug says Patrick Mahomes equals a football god. Uh, Jalen says, I think that's fair to keep Manning ahead of Mahomes. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, because remember, when we're comparing these guys, like you're comparing Joe Montana's entire career to Patrick Mahomes' first few years of his career. So it's not like it's a fair fight, right, on, from, from Mahomes. 
So the fact that he surpassed so many of these great quarterbacks that have come before him already, you know, it's all right. So like, yeah, we can sit and wait for him to maybe fully pass Peyton Manning, um, which he should be able to do in a couple of years. If he continues to have this kind of success, it's just absolutely nuts. Quentin disagrees about Manning being overrated. He says Manning was not overrated, never had the defense. Brady had uh, be fair, angry, drunken. Hey, that's angry, drunken German, Quentin. Make sure you get the whole thing in there. Um, Sean says, for folks like us, we always try to look past uh, Oh, this uh, about a different thing. For folks like us, we always try to look past differences and give everyone a fair shake. For the filthy, rich, 80-year-old white man, they, they don't have to and won't change. That's, that is hard for us to understand. Look, man, you know, speaking on race issues, other than like, you know, sort of, sort of my, my, my primary views, I always am careful about wading into that. Right. Because I'm not an expert. I'm, you know, I, I look like me, so I'm not an expert on those types of things. I don't know the hearts of the NFL owners, but what I do know is they're all, they all come from one group and everybody has biases and, and prejudices, unconscious biases. So, you know, those, the, the, the unconscious bias is out there and it's a thing. And when you look at a league with, all of these black players and very few black coaches and very few black executives. There's probably, again, shades of gray here. Is every owner in the NFL racist? Absolutely not. Are some of them, you know, giving in to unconscious bias? Yeah, probably. Um, so uh, Doug says Patrick Mahomes in his prime starting now. So let's see what happens. Yeah, that's the thing that should get everybody really, really excited is that, this guy is just now entering his prime. Like we just saw what I thought was the best year of his career. He was the most efficient, ruthless, deadly uh, than he has ever been. Uh, it was just a different style of play. Um, does does angry, jump, angry drunk and German think Mahomes needs to get seven t- titles past Brady? Quentin says, uh, yeah, Quentin says, I don't think, I don't think seven rings to pass Brady. I agree. But yeah, like it just, it's it's like it's like the whole like like what the Bill Russell thing, right? Like it, Brady is Verderam was always was fond of saying like Brady's like the greatest winner he's ever seen, but Mahomes is clearly one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. The things that he can do on the field, the things that he can do upstairs, uh, is just his his awareness on the field. Like Madden's, you know, Madden's awareness rating, he should have like a, like hundred and four. Like the dude's pocket presence is almost always on point. It's absolutely incredible. The way he keeps his eyes downfield while he moves and navigates a pocket. We see him all the time. Sometimes he gets a little too cute, but like he's always trying to make the play. When he goes up to the line of scrimmage, when he's thinking about running with the football and he's pump faking and he'll get right up to the line of scrimmage and like his awareness to know where he is on the field. He's made so many of those passes with like half his body past the line of scrimmage, but like his back foot still behind the line. It's just unbelievable. He's one of one. He's absolutely incredible. And we get to watch him play football for our favorite team. It's just an absolute blessing. And I'm just excited to see what he continues to do. Because again, if he won the Super Bowl uh, this year with this team, with this group of wide receivers, if they continue to draft well, and they're able to keep their cap down and they're able to br- bring in strategic veteran free agents like pass rushers and things like that, cornerbacks. This team is going to win a lot of Super Bowls. Like, I, I just don't see how, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to win a Super Bowl 
But the fact that he's two and one, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. We'll take it. All right, everybody. Um, I got to get out of here. I'm going to see uh, a play, my wife's play. She's uh, she's the executive director of a theater company. We're going to go check that out tonight. I haven't seen it yet because it came on when I was at the Super Bowl. Listen, I want to thank all of you guys for coming, watching the show this week. Well, it's just me. Um, you know, uh, some changes happening at the show, but we're going to have a lot of great guests for you starting this week with Jason. And next week, Sterling is going to join me. And we're going to be interviewing Kansas City's own super fan, Melissa Etheridge, first rock star we've had on the show. I'm really excited about that. If you didn't catch yesterday's show, Melissa has agreed to, to come on the show. Her and I are friendly on Twitter. Um, and I've been chatting with her about getting on since before the Super Bowl. So I'm so glad that she's going to be joining us. It's so exciting. If you want to support the Arrowhead Attic Podcast, there's a couple of things you can do. First, you consider becoming a member, joining us in our private Discord, hanging out, fantasy football leagues, happy hours, all the fun stuff that we do. Check out the link in the description wherever you get this podcast and consider supporting our show. There's so many of you that do. It's just absolutely incredible. And we want to keep bringing you, just expanding the show, more live events, more great Chiefs content. So uh, we appreciate you. Angry Drunken German says, come to my window, Melissa. I got a KC beer kick. You know, that's how I became pals with her was I left like a lame dad joke under a tweet of hers. She tweeted out some, some pictures of some donuts and said she was, she was stress eating ahead of, I think it was the AFC championship game. And I said, uh, uh, come to my window, me too, come to my window and I'll eat one of those donuts, something super lame. And she uh, laughed about it and followed me on Twitter. So there you go. Sometimes the dad jokes pay off. Um, the second way that you can support the Arrowhead Attic Podcast is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new Chiefs fans find this show, which in turn helps us get more viewership, helps us make more money, helps us keep expanding the show and bringing you more Chiefs content. Five-star written review. Leave one over there. Write a review and I will read it on the show. Uh, and if you ask me a question, I'll answer your question there as well. Uh, we'll get to some of those next week. I think we've got some new ones. If, if we don't, please hook us up. It's the off season. We got to start talking food and all that. Um, by the way, I'm going to have a cereal review coming up next week as well. I got some magic spoon, which is like a low calorie thing, cereal thing. It's like a protein bar cereal, I think is basically pretty much what it is. So I got the cocoa version of that. I'm going to check it out. I'll let you guys know how it is on the CT crunch scale. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for your support. Got to get out of here. Thank you to producer Richard for helping me out with the Jason Reed interview. And for, of course, running this stream. I will see you guys next week with Sterling Holmes and Melissa Etheridge. And of course, we'll be back on Tuesday with the regular show with Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. But until next week, as always, go Chiefs.